Welcome to Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 2, Episode 9, The Unresolved Mystery of Michelle O'Connell's Death, Part 2. Within minutes of the shooting of Michelle O'Connell, investigators concluded that the incident was a tragic suicide and that Deputy Jeremy Banks was simply an unfortunate victim. But with increased pressure from family members, the media, and the public, Sheriff Shore, in charge of the case, agreed finally after five months to bring in an independent investigator that would, according to him, obviously come to the same conclusions. That Michelle had indeed just shot herself and that Jeremy Banks was innocent of all allegations. Agent Rogers of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement was specifically called in to conduct an independent investigation into the case and to see if local law were in fact conducting good practices. His own investigation of the case would reveal that the entire affair was a complete mess. His discoveries would soon, as he would find out, upend his entire career. Two weeks into the investigation, Agent Rogers, a 30-year veteran, uncovered evidence that put Sheriff Shore's office in poor light and the entire suicide theory into question. The first major revelation Agent Rogers revealed was there were witnesses. Agent Rogers discovered Stacy Boswell and Heather Ladley, who claimed to hear two shots fired on the night of September 2nd, 2010, around 11 p.m. They were standing outside smoking a few blocks from the Banks' residence. Not only did they hear the gunshots, but they claimed to have heard arguing and a woman cry for help in between the first and second shot. According to the witnesses, emergency vehicles arrived about 10 to 15 minutes after the last gunshot. Not only were these witnesses not even revealed during the initial investigation, because officers felt there was no need to, the witnesses then were degraded when Agent Rogers brought them forward. At first, they said they were outright liars making the entire story up. Then, when both passed the polygraph test, not once, but twice, Shore's office indicated that Agent Rogers was coaching them and telling them what to say. If that was not enough, then they were said to be under the influence of drugs that night and subject to misinterpretation and memory loss. It is not possible to misinterpret a female screaming for help and then hearing two shots, is it? And indeed, drugs can have an effect on your perception, and both witnesses indicated they do smoke marijuana. However, they also indicate they did not smoke that night. If this is a major problem, then the entire states of Alaska, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, the District of Columbia, and of course the entire countries of Canada, the Netherlands, Spain, Uruguay, Puro, Jamaica, Portugal, Austria, Switzerland, Argentina, and so on and so on and so on, and even North Korea, are going to have problems determining all the implications of people that legally smoke weed and have been or are witnesses in the court system. Should all their testimony be thrown out or ignored? We were in the garage having a cigarette. We heard some arguing. So that's what initially brought us even out of the garage. We stood here and tried to listen for a second. What direction is it coming from? It's coming from back over that way right there in between the houses. 
over there between mm -hmm. the two houses. Between the house and the fence. We knew it was coming from right over there in that open patch. We heard a woman yell for help, and then we heard a gunshot, and then there was another yell for help, and then another gunshot. It was help, plain as plain can be, it was help. You knew something was wrong. There was nothing playful, no nothing. It was somebody that was scared. Dr. Hoban, who conducted the autopsy, was asked to read the witness statements and change the official manner of death to homicide, crossing off suicide. Later, under pressure, he changed it back to suicide. With this wavering manner, another doctor was called in for review. Dr. Predeg Bulek was the next to review the medical evidence. He initially considered an exhumation, but then stated it would not produce any further forensic evidence. Dr. Bulek backed the original determination of suicide. Dr. Bulek said that Michelle held the gun upside down in her mouth and the gun recoiled forward, causing a small flashlight attached to the gun to injure her right eye. This was the first time someone had mentioned that Michelle had any external injuries. And the explanation of how she got these injuries is absolutely absurd. No gun, repeat, no gun recoils forward. That is against the law of physics. To be certain, the laws of physics as we understand them cannot be broken by a service revolver the same gun was taken and fired in the same manner. The gun recoiled forward 0% of the time, while recoiling backward and down away from the eye 100% of the time. Dr. Bulick states the tactical light on the revolver is what had caused the injury, but his measurements of the gun and eye injury indicate he is either totally incompetent in the use of a ruler or he deliberately wrote down wrong figures to cover up for someone. Based on the testimony of the two witnesses, Agent Rogers and the FDLE investigators believed a homicide may have occurred. FDL brought in forensic experts to recreate the crime scene. Most of the evidence and information they collected validated their hypothesis of homicide. Notwithstanding the circumstantial evidence collected on March 12, 2012, Special Prosecutor Brad King released a statement indicating there was not enough evidence to support a homicide indictment. Jeremy Banks would not be charged. Within a month, Agent Rogers came under fire for his actions during the O'Connell death investigation. The sheriff led the charge to pursue Agent Rogers and discredit his findings. Several complaints were lodged, though Agent Rogers was eventually cleared of any criminal wrongdoing. On March 26, 2013, Sheriff Shore released a 153-page report called Review of Michelle O'Connell's Death Investigation. The title was quite misleading as a vast majority of the report critiqued Agent Rogers handling the case and justified his own office's conclusion of suicide. Of the 153 pages, only two pages were dedicated to analyzing his actions, decisions, and deficiencies during their investigation. Sheriff Shore fired Michelle's brother, Scott O'Connell, for threatening to blow up the police department 
when he was angered over the prosecutor's decision not to charge Jeremy Banks. Interestingly, about the time Michelle's brother changed his mind, included Michelle killed herself, he got his job back. In fact, Jeremy Banks and Scott O'Connell were praised by Sheriff Shore in what would be called a pep rally. They were heroes to the department. One nearly was put away on murder charges, the other a friend to the department. And I'm going to ask that uh, Jeremy and, and Scott stand up. Would you two stand up? Let's give these two guys a hand. In 2017, Scott O'Connell would be dismissed from the police department and later charged under allegations of domestic assault, something he at one time believed got his sister murdered. Jeremy Banks, instead of mourning the loss of his girlfriend and laying low, believed he needed to vindicate himself. When asked during an interview if Michelle ever expressed suicidal thoughts, Jeremy told a story regarding an argument. According to Jeremy, during a domestic altercation, Michelle start started, Jeremy, you just make me want to kill myself sometimes. This statement made no sense. If Michelle and Jeremy were in the midst of an argument, why would Michelle direct her anger at herself rather than Jeremy? And only on television and in written dialogue do people use the other person's name when they are in the middle of a conversation. Jeremy's story sounded contrived. The sheriff's office placed a lot of emphasis on the importance of Michelle's text messages in the hours leading up to her death. According to them, it provided a window into her state of mind. The text illustrated a despondent woman on the verge of suicide. Michelle sent several texts to her sister, Christine, concerning her daughter. One stated, quote, Promise me one thing. Alexis will be happy and always have a good life. In another text, Michelle stated, quote, That no matter what, Alexis will always be safe and loved. These texts conveyed an ominous tone. The text could have been indicative of her contemplating taking her own life, but her family believed her texts expressed a fear of Jeremy, not a preamble to suicide. On the day she died, Michelle left her mother a voicemail, referencing them getting together soon, and she texted her sister at 9.55 p.m. stating, I'll be there soon. These actions do not illustrate a woman who is about to take her own life. Suicide, though not always logical, is an act of desperation. One situation is perceived to be so dire that her only choice is to end it all. Nothing indicated this type of situation for Michelle. To the contrary, things were improving. And the one thing that was above all these improvements is that she was going to be no longer attached to Jeremy. As the year went on, 
and the investigative notes were revealed, the family grew even more suspicious. They learned that one of the deputies on the scene noted that Jeremy smelled like he had just taken a shower. But when asked, Jeremy stated he did not take a shower that evening and that he didn't even wash his hands. Other information leaked out from Agent Rogers. There was an absence of high-impact bloodstains on Michelle's left arm and sleeve, which was inconsistent with her having used her left hand to fire the weapon. Based on the lack of blood splatter on her left arm, either all the forensic evidence indicated Michelle fired the gun with her left hand was wrong, or alternatively, someone else fired the fatal shot. There was only one other candidate for an alternative shooter, according to Agent Rogers. Though not tested initially by the Sheriff's Department, the gun used to kill Michelle did not have any blood on it. The gun did not have Jeremy's DNA on it, even though he carried it when he worked. The gun only had trace amounts of Michelle's DNA on it. However, it was inside Michelle's mouth when it was fired. Again, according to Agent Rogers, it is hard to explain the forensic testing results unless the gun was cleaned prior to the police arrival. When Agent Rogers canvassed Jeremy's neighborhood, he approached Jeremy at his home. Jeremy stated, quote, I just stopped by to get rid of some of her shit from the house. He then corrected himself by stating, quote, I mean, pack up some of her stuff. Jeremy's true emotions were revealed, and an attempt to conceal them was quickly presented. Jeremy was interviewed by the FDLE, and remember from part one where Jeremy says he performed a leg sweep on Michelle when they were physically engaged in a heated argument? Let's listen to how Jeremy responds to this questioning. You said you had to sort of put her on the ground. How exactly did you do that? I grabbed her wrist. And I put my leg behind hers, and I just kind of swung her around. And I put it, and I just held her wrist on the ground until she calmed down because I didn't want to get hit. Would that be what you would classify as a, an arm bar takedown? Well, I would more of a leg sweep. I, you know, I put my leg behind hers, and I just kind of turned and used her own momentum. How tall are you? Uh, six one ish. How much do you weigh? Two twenty five. And how big is Michelle? Uh, she was. Good six inches short of me, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. The autopsy report says she was five foot four and weighed about 119 pounds. Okay. Did you feel it necessary to do a leg sweep on her? Well, I felt it necessary to kind of neutralize the situation and not get hit. That's good police charge. We're just talking about Well, I, well I'm person to person. Sorry, I, you know, I... In other words, I'm just asking you as a person, as a person to person, not as, as a textbook response to a police... Inquiry, okay. I'm just saying, was she that aggressive towards you, or you felt like you had to do a leg sweep to take her down? She said, "I hate you." She threw a chair down and she ran across the house after me, sir. I had to do what I, I did what I did to make sure I didn't get hit. Jeremy goes on in interviews and discusses, matter of frankly, how things went down that fateful night. According to Jeremy, after he heard the first shot, he stood outside the bedroom door, knocking and yelling to Michelle and dialing 911. Yet. She never said anything to him. She was supposedly in the midst of killing herself because of her losing him, but she did not speak to him. No, I love you, I can't live without you. No, she did not say anything. 
which seems quite implausible. Second, a gun was fired, his gun, and he did not feel the need to kick in an interior door. Why did the second shot cause him to kick in the door, but not the first one? If Jeremy was standing outside the bedroom when Michelle shot herself, he would not have told the 911 operator that he thinks his girlfriend shot herself. He would have known for certain what had happened. And the 911 call contains information, vital information, to the truthfulness of what happened that night. Join us for part three next week as we go into details of the 911 call and also expose new investigations, new inquiries, and new developments. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.